0: Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. What about f***ing Colin? Why does he not have a f***ing job? Because he's still being whiteballed. Why is Tom not speaking out about that? He should be his biggest f***ing ally. And he hasn't said one f***ing thing. A lot of people that have come on this show, I don't know why, they've gotten some good f***ing jobs afterwards. Jim Rome in the jungle. It's right here in the sports deli, baby. We got some good ass karma right here. Let's fucking go. I love <laughs> oh, man. I love it. We hope you enjoy today's show, everyone. All right, let's rock and roll. Today's podcast is brought to you by my Amazon shop. Check it out at Amazon.com backslash shop backslash the sports deli. And you can see all the products that I've done videos on, my idea list and my shoppable photos. I may make a commission on any of the things that you watch or see, but it's at no extra cost to you. Enjoy today's show. We have to refer to him as Mr. Duncan. like I, I'm just wondering,
1: yeah. Yeah, please, I'm very formal, Secretary Duncan.
0: <laughs> there you go. Exactly <laughs> Just
2: put a sir on the end of it. Mr. <laughs> Duncan sir.: Well, Where because you, have, you know sir?
0: Jay Billis always said that he could never call Coach K. Mike even oh, after yeah. all these years, kind of thing, you know what I mean? My, my, Mike's a different level, I'm not, so. so. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're so honored to welcome on this 28th day of National Fresh Celery Month and four days away from Mental Health Awareness Month to welcome the Pride of the Windy City Dub Bears. MJ, the Blackhawks, and stay tuned to today's Rapid Fire to find out if he's a White Sox or Cubs fan, the real and the original A.D., Arnie Duncan, former Secretary of Education of the United States under president barack obama arnie was born the same day as pat tillman and believe it or not james naismith and the same year as del curry steph's dad Brett hall sorry black hawks fans cheryl miller who's been on the show four times and dan brown author of the da vinci code i threw that in there because arnie's such an avid reader although i don't know if he actually likes mystery thrillers kamala harris and Michelle Obama, who I wish would run for president of the United States one day, but everybody I ask says there's no way. Ernie, shout out to Dan, my co-host today. Uh, Dan was on the show also. You've known him for a long time. Truly honored and humbled that you're joining us today in the Sports Daily podcast, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially a former secretary of education. Welcome.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation.
0: Absolutely. Well, Dan, you guys have known each other for a long time. And, you know, we had a, a, a pre podcast conversation earlier. And, you know, you shared some things with me that um, really hit me here. And, you know, you guys have been around professional athletes, one of the most incredible presidents uh, ever in the history of the United States. And, you know, both of you guys are very unassuming. Uh, you wouldn't know that you guys have done what you've done in your careers, respectively, so far. And, you know, I met Dan in the mid-2000s, and we coached together for a number of years, won a conference championship together while we were coaching college basketball. You know, but just so everybody knows, not only have Arnie and Dan known each other for roughly 40 years, but Dan, when he was working at Upper Deck, he was basically in charge of marketing. And so he had a very unique situation at the time, Where he, now listen to this, was in charge at the same time of Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Ken Griffey Jr., Wayne Gretzky, Dan Marino, and he had other clients as well. From Mike Vick to Baron Davis and others. So, you know, Dan has worked with so many incredible athletes, Kevin Garnett, and the list goes on and on. So anyways, I just wanted to share that because uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't give people a little bit of background about Dan. And uh, he's not only here because him and Arnie have been friends for a long time, but because of the extensive knowledge that he has with professional athletes that played at the highest level. And he now teaches a sports marketing class at a local university here in town. Dan can't thank you enough for being here also today but let's take it back a little bit to when you guys first met and and uh, Dan you know what has impressed you the most you know about Arnie now that you look back on it and have had time to reflect you know from the time you met until now
2: yeah for sure well thanks for having me as a co-host super nice of you to ask Uh, it's been a been a great partnership and Mike as you
1: know Dan's an unbelievable competitor and you know, no one no one plays harder, no one no one's in better shape than Dan. So having him as a teammate. And it's funny, he's just one of those guys he, he's helped out from day one. So whether it was to do a little three on three fundraiser and for for our work back at Aerial with I a dream and Dan was an we're coming up with all kinds of goodies that we could give away and not give away auction off to folks to give us prizes, but it's just been a uh, yeah, Dan's one of those giving guys. And so it's been it's yeah, it's been just a whole lot of fun to have, have friends like that for uh, how long is it? Now? I don't. Know, Thirty years, twenty years—a long, long time.
2: I, I was looking. I think we're going on forty, dude. Yeah, that's so, yeah, <laughs> scary. scary. <Harry. laughs> don't, don't, don't say that. I know, right? Hey, cut that I out. Of this. We all got a little gray going on there. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's one of those, uh, you know, I knew you win kind of things, right? Um, just two guys playing basketball and having, you know, mutual friends in Hyde Park and University of Chicago, and just kind of battling, and and uh, then we ended up starting playing in three on three tournaments together and, you know, Chicago park district, you know, men's leagues together. So a long history of, of, of basketball and Arnie, as everyone knows, is a great, great basketball player and really fun teammate to have one of those guys that, you know, makes you better on the court. So i always love playing with him. But I I guess if you ask me what, you know, uh, what I admire or like what I think about, it's just, you know, kind of following his career and, you know seeing him at, at the start i think when we first met it was it was um you know working with a, i have a dream foundation in a in a middle school class and just you know working with all those kids to get, you know first get them to high school and get them through high school and then you know help them helping them with college and and just kind of following that path and then you know seeing that lead to um, superintendent of schools in you know in chicago which is a massive job, and then of course the Secretary of Education. And I think the thing that you know always always had me like wanting to do anything I could or to to help him or support him. It's just that you know in in some crazy political climates of like Chicago, and then of course American politics. Somehow you've always been able to just keep the, your decision making to what's best for the kids. You know, like I, I never, I've never seen you in in a situation where it's like, oh, well, Chicago, I've got to do this or say that or my constituency or you know, Democrats, Republicans. It's like somehow you've been able to navigate that mess and just like this is best for students and this is what we're going to do. So you know, I, I just, I do d- really admire you for that, and you've you've done you know one hell of a job through your career, and and now what you're doing now is is so impressive with you know just trying to give some stability to Chicago. So my my hat's off
0: to you on and off the
2: basketball court.
0: (laughs) Let me me dig a little bit uh, deeper though, because I know for me, a light went on after George Floyd. And I was like, I cannot speak about stuff that's irrelevant an hour and a half later anymore. Not in this space. And I saw Rodney King and there was things, you know, growing up that I witnessed that were uncomfortable. And we knew about people speaking out mostly in the black and brown community but not in, not in the spaces of white allyship, but you, because of your parents' upbringing uh, and your mom in particular, I think that light went on a lot earlier for you. And so I think it's important that we three, who you're an, a major influencer, I'm a micro influencer along with Dan, that we understand how important it is in this space to be an ally, but I'm so curious, I know you've talked about this before, as to even looking back on it now, like, did you even realize how impactful your parents were, especially your mom, in your journey?
1: Yeah, that, that's a, it's a really thoughtful question, just to give you know folks listening a little little background. So uh, we grew up in Hyde Park, literally on the campus of the University of Chicago. My dad was a professor there. I, I lived two blocks from where I grew up. It was really important for me to to come back home. And so that was sort of half my life. The other half my life is my mother ran an after school, you know, tutoring program. And what was sort of crazy, it was literally like 12 blocks from our house. Like we used to walk there some days, but it was across at that point, the invisible barrier of 47th street between sort of middle-class integrated Hyde park and all black, all poor North Camwood, Oakland. And she took us there from the time we were, you know, two, two weeks old. So raised my sister and brother and I as a part of it. And, as a kid you don't know any better it's just your your life you don't know how to compare and you don't realize until much older sort of how unique that is but just living in those two different worlds and seeing the differences between the opportunities that my friends had at Hyde Park and the lab schools where I went and the opportunities that my friends in the after school you know my mother's program had um and just people talk about different zip codes it's actually the same zip code it wasn't even a zip, different zip code but just radically different worlds and I think that that unfairness, that inequality, has been the driver for for my sister, brother, and I all tried to follow in her footsteps. She did that work for, I think, 52 years until her health gave out. Unfortunately, she has Alzheimer's, but she was the the most courageous. You know, a million crazy stories. The most courageous person I knew, and you know, people threatened her and threaten us, and we just show up for work the next day. And taking your your three babies in, into that community and and uh, ultimately really being embraced by the community. It's uh, it was, it was, to say it was formative was an understatement, is an understatement. And everything I've tried to do is honestly just tried to build upon the work I saw and the opportunity I saw and the, and the unmet needs that, that we grew up with.
0: And Dan, you can jump in any time, but in the interest of time, I probably would normally elaborate on that, but that's you sort of got to let it breathe for a second. Don't you, Dan? Like just to, yeah, to I mean, think about that whole, like you don't know any better.
2: Yeah, I think the the invisible barrier that you talked about at 47th Street, you know, I, I was further South and for me, it was Western Avenue. And that's just Chicago, you know, right or wrong or just how it was. And I know that that seems lame saying just how it was, but, you know, that, that was how it was. To, so, you know, not many people went across that invisible barrier, right? So your your mom just going like, well, I'm not going to recognize the barrier. <laughs> We're going to go and try to, you know, break down that barrier and just pretend it doesn't exist and make this happen and make things better was you know just really courageous to be able to do that and your mom I I never played against your mom but a lot of the a lot of the guys at UFC was like oh yeah she'd be out there balling with us in pickup games so your mom's got a reputation on the court too she
1: played for, for a lot of years and uh that was her. She was that was her recruitment. She recruit folks off the court to come be volunteer tutors in her program. So that was her HR function. And President Obama Kennedy once said, "You know, your mother she fouled a lot. She hacked a lot." I'm like, I'm really sorry. I don't say she did hack a lot. I agree. But uh, yeah, lots of lots of stories. Lots of stories. Yeah, yeah, I love
0: it. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, the other thing that you've talked about in the past is that uh, those experiences allowed you to read people um from different perspectives different walks of life and you had a a different level of sensitivity you know and level of empathy that you you just can't teach you can't read it in a textbook you can't learn it at harvard you know or princeton i know your son's going to go to princeton i don't know how you feel about that we can ask about that later but you know in all seriousness um talk about not only Looking back again on how important it was to to learn how to read people and empathy, and being the type of nurturing person that you are, and then how that led into the academic space, you know that that you later pursued.
1: Yeah, well, I, I've been really, really lucky to go to some amazing, you know, schools and, and college. But I always say that, you know, maybe true for all of us, that, that for me, basketball has always been by far my best classroom. I mean, nothing comes close. And all the life lessons of, you know, that are cliches, but they're just so real of, you know, working hard and overcoming failure and handling handling pressure and how to be a good teammate and how to be resilient and how to persevere. Like I said, I don't know how you teach that in algebra or biology, but you just sort of gain that every single day, you know, growing up. And I was always, you know, I grew a foot in high school, so I was 5'2 as a freshman in high school. So wow. I was the ultimate late developer, and then knows that I'm slower than ever, but I've always been slow. So you're slow, you're small. you got to try and figure out somehow to win. And if there are, you know, 20 guys waiting to play next, if you'd love to play on the court, you got you have to win. So just trying to figure out how to be a good teammate and how to be a, how to win, um, there's no better place to, to do that. And all those lessons transfer from the court to, to life, to, to everything we do and whatever leadership you know responsibility I've had I go back to that that was like the ultimate training ground but then I grew up you know first playing in my mother's center but then playing out in the streets on the south and west side started doing that when I was you know 13 14 and you know that was definitely a little unusual and just honestly just trying to frankly live and in, in, you know how to navigate and there are people who I literally trusted with my life who I just only knew their nickname. I just knew their street name. I didn't know their government name, and you know who to stay away from, when to get out of a situation. That was um, I, I got pretty good at reading character because I, I had to do that to 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 be safe. And it was important to me to be in those neighborhoods because that's where the good basketball was. So if you wanted, to, if you were serious about playing, you had to go where the talent was, and that's where the that's where the talent was in Chicago. And so that that subtle stuff of being able to you know, try and figure people out uh, pretty, you know, pretty quickly and figure out, uh, you know, do they have your best interests at heart or no, and how to handle those situations. Again, just the ultimate, ultimate training ground
0: was just the, the playgrounds in, in Chicago. And if you didn't win, you had to wait two hours.
1: Yeah, you, that was not, ten, you know, if you loved to play, you, you couldn't, you just sort of couldn't lose. And so, right. yeah, yeah, you didn't, no one, no one wanted to sit there for two hours. So yeah, exactly right.
0: Yeah, I don't want to gloss over Harvard because I'm sure you learned a lot there. If you want to tie it in somehow, um, definitely do that because uh, I think the, the white privilege piece and how we all three of us navigate that and leverage that uh, in order to help people put better tools in their toolboxes f- and for not only us, but for others to be a better version of themselves every day and to be an ally. But, you know, President Obama took a non traditional path to the presidency. And you took a nontraditional path to be the secretary of education, never having taught a class. And so I'm just curious, uh, not necessarily f- regarding the pushback, but, um, you know, leading up to that point, you know, did President Obama know some of these things about you? Um, you know, obviously you're vetted uh, in a whole different kind of way at that level, but, you know. Were you planning on trying to go down that path, you know, to leverage what I just talked about, that platform and your white privilege?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I think it's part of why I do what I do now, because it was weird. I got the best of both worlds. I got the best of the Hyde Park and the, the, you know, intellectual, you know, bit of the university and being in that community. But then I also got the best of the inner city world of the, of the toughness and the resiliency and, you know, and, and I, I know, you know, I got the best of both, and most people only get one or the other. And those two things made me. But when when that makes you, you sort of can't forget where you come from, and that's why it's important to come back. But the yeah. it, one that one that ties things that ties us three together is, is basketball. And it's actually, I'll just give you a little background. So um, Michelle Obama, the President, obviously President Obama's wife, um, her older brother Craig Robinson was a great, great player. So we grew up playing together. Uh, you know, both, both on the South side. And so played it in forever summer leagues. And so our first sense of Barack Obama was that was Craig's little sister's boyfriend. I mean, that's how we knew right. him. And, you know, we had to sort of figure him out. We actually figured him out in the court a little bit. Was he, was he okay for Michelle? And we decided that, that he was, but he was in the you know in the Illinois legislature and then a senator. And I, I remember going home one night and telling my wife, Karen, that, Know, I think Brock's gonna run for president and she literally said president of what she thought it was like the condo association or something <laughs> oh I, my God. they used to do the groceries together on the weekend I said now these are run for president in of the United States and she's like Brock no it's never happened and the rest the rest is history but beyond the basketball tie you know we spent a lot of time talking education policy he visits schools with me you know in CPS you know all the time and So he had a real sense for what I stood for and what I was about and I I knew where he came from. And, you know, Michelle and Craig came from a great, great family, but neither one of their parents was college educated. They're both first gen. And, you know, Brock had his very, very real challenges growing up. Hawaii was a very forgiving environment. Had he grown up in South side of Chicago, I promise you he would not have been president. It's too tough an environment given all of his challenges. And so I knew, how important education was to both of them personally, not just intellectually, but but viscerally. And this sounds a little crazy, but I, I just mean it. I had no ambition to, to go to DC. My goal was to be CEO of Chicago Public Schools for 10 years. I had done seven and a half. There's so much turnover in these jobs, I really wanted to have stability. But just, you know, how many times does your friend become president? It's sort of you know, crazy, obviously. And I just knew his heart, and his character. So I really didn't go for. It. If he had said, you know, come to the White House and take out the garbage for me, I would, have, you know, I would have said, I'm in. And it, so it was right. nothing about the job or the title. It was just being part of a historic administration. Someone who I knew had a had a heart for the kids that I cared about and had a heart for the communities I cared about, and just to be, you know, we all try and be good teammates. I just wanted to be the best teammate I could. So that was literally, I don't, that was literally the only job in the world that I would have left Chicago for was to be a, be a part of his, be a part of his team.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, you're not a politician, but you were in a political space. You know, President Obama obviously was a politician and a great orator and uh, just, you know, a brilliant person who also uh, looked at education maybe differently than some of our other presidents. Um, And so, you know, he got Obamacare passed, which was no easy task. And I'm curious because I want to lead this into. Uh, where we are now after the pandemic educationally because disproportionately it's already you know, something that we should be concerned about, but then the pandemic set us back even more, so I want to ask you about that after. But what things, while you were Secretary of Education, were you most proud of that you brought both sides of the aisle together to do?
1: Well, Dan mentioned this at the stop at the top, and you know, I happen to be a, a Democrat, but for me, education has to be the ultimate nonpartisan and bipartisan issue. Mm-hmm. Like I say, you know, a good military is our best defense, but a great education system is our best offense as a nation. Mm-hmm. And for me, there's nothing left or right or you know, liberal conservative about any of this. So. I can go through successes, I can go through failures as well, but a couple of places where you know really proud of what, what we did. And honestly, I was pretty skeptical of the federal role in education. That's why I said it was no, no ambition of mine to, to go be secretary of education. Um, but we, we put hundreds of millions of dollars into early childhood, high quality early childhood education. And I think that's the best investment we can make. And again, all these lessons really just go back to growing up a part of, you know, part of my mother's program. And she always said, you know, the earlier she gets kids, the, the better they did. And we would see a a family of five would come into our program. And I'd watch how the 13, 14 year olds would do okay, but have some challenges, but the three and four year olds would just skyrocket because you had a chance to, to impact their lives for a much longer time than starting earlier. So we put a huge amount of resources into that in a space where historically our department didn't play much. So that was really important. Um, we got high school graduation rates up to all time highs for every segment, white, black, Latino, rich, poor, English language learners, special needs, didn't matter. Uh, kids below the poverty line so and again those for me none of these things like mission accomplished is always still so far to go but really you know pushing very very hard there and then higher education uh two things one um dramatically increasing access to pell grants without going back to taxpayers for nickel we sort of cut out the the middleman there and had more than a, a million more students of color go on to college and use those grants and that, that that felt fantastic and we put a big big emphasis on community colleges I know both you guys have have real lived experience there and for me those were those are like the unpolished gems unrecognized gems along the education continuum and really trying to sh- shine a spotlight and put lots of resources behind that and the best of community colleges are like regional economic engines. They, they drive the economy and drive employment and create opportunity in those communities. So I always look sort of you know, cradle to career. So early childhood, you know, expanding access, K to 12, highest graduation rates at that point ever, then higher ed, expanding opportunity, both for Pell Grants for students who need access there, and then really trying to put a lot more resources behind uh, behind community colleges.
0: So, you know, I'm in the middle school space right now because of, you know, my daughter, and I see a lot of, um, you know, disparities because of the pandemic. And so I just want to ask a a broad question about, uh, and you tie it in any way you want, but what's the most important thing now as far as education goes, because we're seeing lower numbers, not only at the community college level that you mentioned, but more people being entrepreneurs and less emphasis on actual history. Sorry, I had to throw it in there. Uh, and education as a whole. And so, how do we not only continue to bridge the gap between disproportionate communities and make education, you know, a priority so that um, you know we're on a more equal playing field? So
1: obviously, the you know COVID the pandemic was just absolutely devastating. And I was just trying to be honest. It was horrific. But had we had better leadership in D.C., we would have saved. You know hundreds of thousands of lives and had less you know detrimental impact on on our kids on our schools on our economy so the 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 man-made piece of this disaster is just something that we can never sort of lose sight of or 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 forget and sure, you guys lost friends I lost friends and it just did not have to be as as horrific as it was and that is just a, a devastating piece of the of the story of of, of this chapter. Um, coming out of it, we we know this always the kids in communities who are the furthest behind are always hit the hardest. And so the disproportionate impact of you know basically two years off of school is beyond devastating. And so you know we already had a big I don't call them achievement gaps, I call them opportunity gaps. We already we already had a massive opportunity gap. And that was just exacerbated. So the fact that so many kids Are so far behind academically is devastating and so two for me there are two things one is doing whatever we can to accelerate learning to help kids catch up and for me it's got to be a sort of a sprint between you know we're 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 almost in may now you know between now and the start of this next school year this fall three four five months whatever we can do to help kids catch up so they have a chance to be successful academically we have to do that and we know that high-dosage tutoring is the best way to do that. We can do that physically, we can do it virtually, we can do it blended, but getting kids the resources they need, that, that's half of it. The second half is just the social and emotional support that the kids and teachers, you know, adults need. And the amount of trauma, the amount of loss, the amount of fear, it, it was extraordinary. And so for me, those are always two sides of the same coin. You know, I'm always gonna be the guy pushing for high standards and more kids going to college and more EP, AP classes. But if folks are living with trauma, they're living with fear, if they're being bullied, if they, if, you know, they don't have access to food, if they you know, need eyeglasses, if they need dental exams, we have to take care of all of that. And so that for me is the foundation upon which high academic standards are built. So meeting kids and adults where they are, giving them the support, the counseling, whatever they need to work through the real trauma of that time and ongoing trauma so that we can have the highest of academic standards. Those are two things that I would just be absolutely laser laser focused on for, you know, yes, the next three, four, five months, but for the next couple of years as well.
0: Well, Dan, that's some of the sort of nuances that we were talking about, you know, about how he has a different level of reading people and understanding some of the things that other people, either politicians or not, that, you know, they just don't understand. Does social media or AI factor into bridging this gap? Um.
1: Social media is complicated. Uh, in my current work now, really trying to reduce violence in the city, uh, social media is a real driver of the violence, and we can get into that if you want to. So very mixed on, more than mixed on it, but it's something that's not going away. But uh, yes, yeah, social media you know, can be a force for good. Technology can be a force for good. You know, AI can be a force for good. And so how we harness technology, for me, the goal is never technology for technology's sake. The goal is to harness technology to reach kids where they are. And that can be inner city Chicago, that can be on a native American reservation, that can be in remote Wyoming. And the idea of kids being able to learn anything they want anytime, anywhere, 24 seven, or have access to the mental health services they need anytime, anywhere. Um, Technology can can absolutely help to to bridge
0: those divides. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, anything that uh, you're thinking about?
2: I, I would I would like to get into just can you tell us what you're doing now because it's right. it's really fascinating to you know leave that giant scale and get back boots on the ground and just one on one in some situ in a lot of situations and how was that transition and tell us what you're doing
1: Yeah, I'll give give the little backstory. This is a this is a more sobering conversation. But go back to you know where we started sort of as a teenager playing ball in different neighborhoods and I, I had a set of older guys who were you know mentors big brothers who honestly sort of protected me and gave me safe passage in and out of neighborhoods and a couple of them were killed you know lost their lives due to gun violence and is it for me as a you know 15 16 17 you know that point you know i didn't have a counselor social worker you just sort of internalize that stuff and i think it sort of shapes you and honestly probably scars you in some ways a little bit difficult to talk about um fast forward to my 20 years to when I led the Chicago public schools and lots I'm proud of and happy to talk about that in another podcast if you want but on my watch in my seven and a half years on average we lost a child a student to gun violence every two weeks it was a staggering rate of loss and thank goodness never in a school but on the way home on the bus at the corner store shot through the living room window at 7 30 on a Wednesday morning getting ready to go to school and my wife and I had two young kids then and everything that was supposed to be hard, hard about my job, academic achievement, labor management, budgets, operations, you name it. I don't say that stuff was easy, but it was all wildly easier than meeting these families 99% of the time after they had just lost their son or daughter and going to those homes, going to those funerals, going to those classrooms where there was an empty chair and a class of traumatized kids and trying to make sense of the census. That was by far the hardest thing I did. And um, it didn't get easier. It got progressively harder, quite honestly. And I don't think, I, I i know we as, whatever we are, adults, parents, educators, leaders, we fail to keep our kids safe on the south and west sides of Chicago. Um, I kept a drawing above my desk at CPS that a young, uh, actually middle school young guy had given me, it's a picture of him climbing up a ladder, and his caption was, if I grow up, I want to be a fireman. And for me, it was always when I grow up, probably for you guys is when I grow up, but that, that's, that is so real that it, it really is a very honest and open question of if I grow up. And very naively, it shows how not smart I am. When I left When we left to go to DC, our family in 2009, I thought Chicago was a rock bottom. I thought it couldn't get worse in terms of the violence. And then for a whole host of reasons, in seven years we were gone, it, it did get worse. And so for me coming home, to a city that had given me every opportunity, educationally, athletically, socially, culturally, this felt like the crisis facing the city, felt like we weren't addressing it head on. And I just felt compelled, frankly, that this is what I wanted to to, to work on. I say we're sort of motivated by our successes, but we're haunted by our failures. And for me, this this has been a failure my entire life in the city. And so I started a, a small nonprofit called Chicago CRED. CRED stands for Creating Real Economic Destiny We've been at it six and a half years now and working with a, the men and now women. And we're now down to 13 year olds, unfortunately, working with those most at risk of shooting and being shot and giving them a, a reason to put down the guns and do something very different. And it's it's the, the hardest thing I've ever done. It's, it's honestly the most heartbreaking, but it's also the most meaningful and the most inspiring. And we've learned a lot in the past six and a half years. We're gonna, we're gonna keep learning, but we've served over a thousand folks now. And to see that transformation, see the changes in, see the neighborhoods we're working on, uh, working in the southwest side, so get, getting much getting safer much faster than the rest of the city. Um, I'm really, really hopeful about where we can go um, over the next couple of years to, to try and make our city safer and give our kids their, 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 uh, their childhoods back.
0: Yeah, Dan, I'm gonna piggyback on that. Uh, and, you know, uh, you can summarize it. Um, you know, there's been a lot of school shootings I mean, just shootings in general and grocery stores. But you know, the ones that garner the most attention, I think a lot of the times is because of the kids. And so, what do you tell people who say this is a second amendment issue, which I argue that it's not necessarily because, yeah, we could hire ex-military to, you know, be at all of our schools, but in the end, you know, what, what's your take on that? Because I think it's an yeah, important question. I, I, got,
1: I got a lot of thoughts there, but we we have more guns than than human beings, than people in America. So if guns yeah. made us safer, <laughs> we'd be the safest nation on the planet. Yeah. And all this thing about, you know, I spent a lot of time on this issue on the school side. We could talk, talk specifically on that. But we've had plenty of school massacres where there are armed guards, where right. this just doesn't work. And. talking points we need to harden schools and it's just it's just this is all a ploy just to sell guns that's all this is and obviously you can't harden recess you can't harden dismissal you can't harden athletic events you can't harden field trips can't harden buses and so i just think i hate to say this but we just love our guns more than we love our kids in this country and there's a level of carnage that is extraordinary and I'll be real honest here. What I always thought, when you know my kids in Chicago, it, you know ninety percent were black and brown kids. What I really thought is that as long as black and brown kids were getting killed, nobody really cared. And I thought that it would take white kids being killed for things to happen, for things to change. And then Sandy Hook happened, and that was uh, not telling any secrets out of school. That was the hardest day of President Obama's presidency. Um, he dealt, by definition, with the hardest issues on the planet. Um, he went down the next day. The vice president and I, at that point, now President Biden, and I went down a couple of days later. Um, that was largely 20 white babies, five teachers, and in the, in the, in the principal went to the funeral of the, the principal and um, you know, stayed in close contact with a couple of those families. And I'll, I'll never forget that time. And the fact that we got nothing, zero done in terms of gun legislation subsequent to that is, is, is devastating. And so it's, I don't want to say it's, it's weekly, but it's almost, you know, it's just, it's just a constant recurring thing. And it, it, the news cycles are so fast now, you hear about it for, you know, one day, maybe two days, and it's gone. So whether it's Nashville, whether it's whatever, um, you have your March for Your Lives t-shirt on. I, I got close to some of those young people from Parkland. We we took actually 300 of our guys from Chicago to that original March for Our Lives in D.C. It was really it was actually incredibly powerful to see our young men from Chicago, who have grown up with this issue, comforting families from from Parkland, and we we sent I sent down a set of our young folks to meet with the young people in in Parkland. And it was really it was just it was deep. They uh, some of the, those those young people lived in a gated community. And our people didn't know what a gated community was. They thought it was a jail. Like they just had never seen a gated community. They were trying to figure out where these kids lived. So lots of differences of race and class and socioeconomic status. But I'll never forget one of our young guys said, um, our shared pain makes us family. And so for all the differences, what our guys have grown up with in Chicago and what, what folks in Parkland and other places unfortunately experience, that ties us all together. And I hate that that's the thing that seems to unite us now as Americans is this this loss and this grief and this fear and this heartbreak and trauma. But that seems to be what connects us. And uh, we just have to get we have to get to a better place. Finally, I'll say is you can't isolate schools from their communities. And so whether it's schools, whether it's places of worship, whether it's shopping malls, whether it's concerts, whether it's bars, whether it's whatever, there's no part there's zero part of our society which is immune from gun violence now and i don't know what it will take is us as a nation to do what every other you know australia japan canada you know you just go right down the list this this is not rocket science this is not finding a cure for cancer it's not putting a man on on, on mars um we just lack the will to keep our kids and families safe and it's 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 devastating it's 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 unimaginable to me.
0: Yeah, I saw so you getting a little bit choked up there and and understandably so, I felt that. Um, and it is a sad narrative that people love their guns more than their kids. And, and so and to answer your
1: question just quickly, it's just like, if people wanna hunt ducks or deer or whatever, I have no problem. Right. I just, when they hunt kids, and you know, that's, that's when I have a problem. And we have these weapons of war, these assault weapons that are disproportionately used in these mass shootings, those are again. Maybe they have a you know place in Iraq or Afghanistan or on the you know battlefields, yeah. but they don't have a place in our in our streets. And it's just um, it, this is nothing to do with the Second Amendment. It has to do with trying to keep people alive, and not have our kids growing up thinking that this is just sort of inevitable that's going to happen to them. Again, too many kids now think about if not when. And for 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 your kids, for my kids, for, you know, Dan's got two young daughters. this to be part of their reality it it is we're doing them such a disservice it's just incredible to me that we as adults care so little about their well-being their mental health um that we allow this to, to have become normalized
0: yeah i know when i go into a walmart or uh drop my daughter off every day i'm looking at that side gate a lot differently than i used to all right let's get to the rapid fire this is the fun part of the show ladies and gentlemen dan if you have any that you want to throw out there you got about five minutes maybe at the most uh squats or lunges arnie oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> need to do more of both, <laughs> both. <laughs> don't like uh, either need to do need to
1: do both yeah yeah
0: uh so you played at harvard your son's going to princeton uh can 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 you still beat him? Can you beat him or is he beating you now? Like is no, he no, has that, di-
1: uh, that day <laughs> we crossed the Rubicon a little while ago. So <laughs> I try to be a pretty good rebounder. That's about it these
0: can, I can still back Orla down. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. So if, <laughs> if you guys were playing in the current era, right? Different, different game, a lot more creativity. And both of you were working on your step back threes. And Larry Bird used to actually do a step back three, but nobody really talks about that. Who would have the better step back three, Arnie, you or Dan?
1: Oh, I'll give it to Dan.
0: I'll give it to Dan. I
1: I never had a step back. I wasn't (laughs) in my room
2: The only reason I can play on any team with Arnie is because I'll guard the the point guard. There's no shooting. He's got me shooting wise.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. You have a a favorite book that you're uh, reading now? You're an avid reader
1: yeah I don't have a favorite book. I should be reading a, a favorite book now, so I try and stay current on a whole bunch of different you know education topics, gun stuff, so more more articles than, than books and I need to I need to probably find some more time just to just to read
0: yeah not to put you on the spot. Did you read Obama's book? um I have
1: not read Obama's book. I yeah, been interviewed for different different pieces of stuff, but
0: no, I haven't. Yeah, yeah 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 it' was very interesting for sure. Do you have a favorite food? Yeah. Oh uh, pizza. Wow, Chicago-style pizza, I would imagine, not New York-style. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, do you have a favorite athlete of all time? Ooh,
1: that's a hard one. Uh, obviously, yeah. you mentioned Bird, MJ, Magic. Those are, those are the three that uh, they're, they're way up there for me,
0: yeah. Who do you like watching now?
1: I love watching Steph. I love watching Ja. I uh, love watching Luca. Those would probably be the guys that I – uh, most uh, most enjoy watching. Yeah.
0: You have a pick for the NBA champ this year?
1: I think it's wide open. It's wide open. Um, it is. Den Den Denver's interesting to me.
0: Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, if you ever had to switch lives with somebody for a day, who would it be? Ooh boy! It could be That's past or present, dead or alive. Yeah. Well,
1: I I won't quite answer that. I wouldn't switch, but just the person I've really tried to learn from historically is Martin Luther King. Just had a tremendous influence on me. So trying to study how he lived his life and what he did and why that's been profoundly impactful on me.
0: Cubs or White Sox? I'm a South side boy like Dan, so. (laughs) Got you. Okay, so in five years, where do you see yourself? Two more questions.
1: I hope five years from now we have a 75 to 80% reduction in gun violence here in Chicago, and uh, that, that's where I'm going to keep doing this work and, until we get there.
0: Amazing. Okay, so if you could have one person at your dinner table, besides Dan and me, past <laughs> or present, dead or alive, that you've never met before, who would be at your dinner table? Oh, man, that's a deep
1: one. <laughs> give, you, give you two different ones. Give you Lincoln and, and Gandhi.
0: Wow. Amazing. Well, the floor is yours, Arnie. Any any last words uh, before we wrap things up? Uh, no, so just appreciate appreciate yeah. your work, appreciate
1: your commitment on this stuff, and appreciate uh, a Dan hope Forty year relationship, God. I hope that's called say let's call yeah. it thirty years, but uh, okay, we'll but, say thirty. I, yeah, I, I'm not the I'm not the no new friends guy, but I'm a big old friends or that's 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 my uh, that's my comfort zone. And so, just appreciate what what you guys are both doing to to help others and to be a voice on these issues. And we need it now. More than ever, and so just uh, thanks for what you're doing,
0: and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. Any, any uh, one thing that you've never told anyone before publicly that nobody knows <laughs> about? <laughs> What's one thing nobody knows about? Arnie? It's it's a whole it's a whole lot.
1: I'm not gonna start. <laughs> All
2: right,
0: there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, former Secretary of Education, arnie Duncan. Can't thank you enough for joining us today here in the Sports Daily. Dan, thanks for co-hosting. Oh, well, thanks conversation. for having me. Yeah, we'd love to have you back, maybe talk about some of the other things that, you know, you mentioned. Uh, Truly an honor, and uh, keep doing the work that you're doing. It's truly um, inspiring, and uh, it goes uh, often unnoticed, and um, mad props and flowers to you for your entire journey, your parents, and uh, hopefully your son has a lot of success at Princeton. Looking forward to following his career. That's, That's amazing that he's doing that, and what your daughter's doing, too, not to you know, go unnoticed just because she's not, you know, playing intercollegiate sports. She's doing amazing things as well. She, she, she's the brains of the family. So she's going to do more uh, than lot. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Have an amazing weekend, both you amazing humans. Much love to you both. And uh, thanks again for uh, honoring this space. And uh, I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks so that much for having A lot of fun. You guys yeah, take right. care. Have a great weekend. Right. See thanks, you, Arnie. Arnie. You too. Thanks, Arnie. Okay. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Arnie Duncan. Thanks, Dieter. So such an interesting guy. It's always been interesting. Yeah. That, that was incredible. But 40 minutes goes quick, man. It does go quick. It really does. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Have an amazing weekend. I appreciate it. Oh, you. you too, love dude. Yeah, right, I look love. forward to seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. I hope you were inspired, educated, maybe even a little motivated to act in some sort of way to put the kids before the guns. Until next time. Much love, everybody. Peace. We truly hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And without further ado, here are today's outtakes. Enjoy. E money. What's up? What's up, my brother? Not
2: much. Hanging out.
0: Ready to go. Yes, sir. I have these uh, bacon and spinach breakfast. <laughs>
2: Is yeah. it a big microphone in front of you?
0: How hey, you like that? Yeah, it's crazy. So if you give away my secret, I'll have to fucking kill you. I will will not say a word. (laughs) That's a real picture of Jordan. Right. We know, (laughs) man. We know. We got those uh, hints here and there. Every single time you come on, there's either another story or there's something.
2: My one buddy, we joke about name dropping. He probably knew me for like eight months. And, you know, I never talked about anything that I did. And uh, we were at a Padres game. And I told him a funny story. And he's like, like, what? Like, what do you do? And then, uh, you know, from then on, like, every time I see him, there's some story. And we're all, always joking <laughs> about He's like, wow, it was three and a half minutes before you started name dropping. You know, he goes, me shit like that. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you know, what can I
0: tell
2: you? So, it looks like it's crooked.
0: Uh, it is a little crooked. Yeah. You got to, I think the side. It's uh, not it doesn't look crooked
2: when you look at it like this
0: it does Let's from the here camera. Though. Mm-hmm. oh
2: there this we go is, yeah it's because the way this thing's sitting you do this all right bet what does it say in this what's your hat? always film the police well the police
0: are always filming us so isn't it yeah. fair that we always film them yeah right this uh march was interesting i went last year was it here yeah they had one here i think they recently had one in san francisco or something so what's on the agenda this weekend wait did you hear that they're canceling basketball i'm so bummed no why he said there's only three coaches they need 12 for the three leagues and i'm like can't you just tell everyone as a caveat in the initial email we only got three coaches yeah we need we need 12 if we don't get enough coaches i'm gonna have to cancel but at least try so then he goes we don't have refs can't the coaches ref and the kids have waited two years after the pandemic to have yeah. like this, like they're amped up. They're excited. They're ready. Yeah. Like, clinics. So I was like, what about tournaments? Can you yeah. do like three tournaments? So then it's only over a two day period. You can probably get refs as yeah. opposed to over eight weeks. So I don't yeah. know. He's looking into it. I was so bummed, bro. Cause you know, in the formative sort of years, I believe that you can coach your kid later. I don't think you should. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's a you bummer. Know.
0: Yeah. Like, God, I mean, I so look forward to going from season to season when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 You yeah. know? And it's like, it wasn't even like, even in Oak Park, Michigan, like what, like they were, yeah. they were so well organized.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 My, well, Chicago has one of the best park districts in the world. Right. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. It's amazing how much open gyms and leagues and yeah. Yeah, because like my the public schools don't have when I was there, I don't think they do now, they don't have any sports. But right across the street from our school was this big was a high school with a big park. So like my team in grade school was like amazing, like one of the top teams Mm -hmm. in the city. But it was a park team, and every everybody on that team was from our school. So it was basically our school team. So it wasn't like, oh, we get kids from all over different schools, Dawes Grammar School, Bogan Park. We just walked across the street and uh, that's where we played. So but then you know, you gotta you gotta have the and, and they do have the park lifers, you know, like guys, women, men, that's that's their job and they work there and they're there for twenty years and the programs are solid and
0: everything's right. just kind of follows suit and yeah.
2: Yeah, that's and that's how Ernie and I both grew up. You know? yeah, just,
0: that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. How many white guys were there?
2: Well, in that park? Chicago was different back then, right? Well, it was very segregated.
0: So my, 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 my grade school and that park was all white. So you didn't cross over and go into their neighborhood and they didn't come into yours just for mm-hmm. the purpose of ball. Well, for,
2: yeah, for playing, but not like you didn't go play pickup over there. Not till I was. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh Wow. But the, the, the park district coach, Mr. Skoda, who was crazy. Like we played all over the city, all comers, all tournaments and you know, like where Arnie was from, we played the University of Chicago tournament. That was probably 30, 40 teams in there. We were the only white team. So, like we would go, like we'd go into, you know, tough neighborhoods and play in tournaments and hell, yeah, and win some a lot of them, you know. Um, yeah, so that was that was good for me because it was just you know, otherwise you were you lived on your block. And I, I can tell you right now there's probably twelve of those fifteen guys still live within striking distance to that park you know wow which is fine you know
0: no big deal but yeah. yeah all right arnie's here okay we're recording yep that was my biggest fear when i first started i was <laughs> like Holy shit, <laughs> i know recording? right exactly what's up arnie
2: what's
1: going on guys all so
0: right much, what's happening arnie much. i'm gonna do a quick intro this one's quicker than normal in the interest of time and then we'll we'll rock i'll let, i'll throw it to dan to start and then uh yeah we'll just we'll just let it flow. How long do you usually go for? it's it's your world so you let okay. us know what your timeline is. All just right. jump in anytime and let us know but you, yeah, anywhere yeah, yeah. from thirty to 60 it's just sort of okay you know and then the rapid fires it. at the end so that's that should be yeah go up.
1: I gotta be out by three forty five my time so I got it yeah. about 40. Yeah
0: okay, sounds good. All right here we go. Thanks again for joining us today everyone. Feel free to send me an email to the at gmail.com. Also check out my link tree it's backslash mike hootner also like to thank a few people 40 tons brand is a socially conscious cannabis brand and they're doing amazing things check them out we'd also like to thank Mula kicks the first ever female brand basketball shoe in the history of the world we'd also like to encourage you if you're having a hard day and if you're feeling like you just don't want to live anymore all you have to do is dial 988 from any phone And there will be someone there 24-7, 365. So don't feel like you have to fight this battle alone. Don't forget to do your self-breast and self-testicular exams every month. It's really important as early detection is the key. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Reach out to your local and state politicians for any individual or group that you feel are being marginalized. Stop the bullying. Stop the Asian hate. Let's end gun violence with common sense laws. Let's be allies for the LGBTQIA community. And I challenge those of you in the white space to be anti-racist, to be bridges and vessels, to help bridge the gaps between black and white America. And remember, until next time, it takes a village, everyone. Much love.